Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. So I wanted to have all of us turn to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at four verses this morning. 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. And I wanted to start off and ask a simple question. The question is this. When you think about that word witness... What comes to your mind? Just think about the word witness. Now, if some of you have some criminal background, you know, like, okay, a witness, yeah, we need some good witnesses here. Most of us understand it is something that we see or we hear, and then through it we testify to others. In its basic definition, if you will, it's an experience that we have, something that we see or we hear, And then we share or testify to others. And those of us who are extra holy, you probably thought it's about sharing about Jesus and how to get to heaven. Uh, Praise God for you in our church. Uh, We're glad that that's what you thought. But just in the general sense, a witness is somebody who hears or sees or experiences something and then they testify to others. And that's why if you think about experiences in history, you will notice that it is getting harder to find people who can actually testify or be a witness, whether it is through words or writings of that event. Let me give you some example. Uh, Last week on Sunday, it was the anniversary of 9-11, September 11, 2001 or it's one of the worst terrorist attacks that happened in the United States. And it dawned upon me that there are a lot of you in this room, well, I shouldn't say a lot, but some of you in this room who weren't even born in 2001. So think about that for a moment. Some of you are still young that you were like a little kid, like a baby. You still have no recollection. The rest of us, you're not old timers, but the rest of us, you kind of remember where you were. I remember where I was when I first heard it. I was going to my office. I was in the elevator, and this person started swearing. and said, what the beep, beep? I'm like, what happened? And then they began, didn't you see the news? And, they, and, and I quickly said, no. And they said, we're being attacked. And I remember just going to my office. The first thing I did was open up my laptop and checked out all the news channels, and I was watching this. And the next thing I did was I called my wife just to let her know, do you know what's going on right now? I still remember it so vividly because I was there in, in, in that time period. Now, for some of us, you go further back and you're going to start to realize that in life, the further you are away from the event, the harder it is to find somebody who is a witness of that event. To be more specific, there are less people who remember whether visually or in an auditory way, the handover from the British government over to the Chinese government of Hong Kong. That happened in 1997. Once again, some of you were not born. Some of you were little kids or in grammar school or maybe in high school, and you kind of remember it. It rained. But anyway, you remember it. But once again, as time goes by, there's going to be less and less people who are eyewitnesses who experienced that momentous time in history. 
There are fewer people who are still alive that remember the Vietnam War. Now in the United States and all over the world, who people who fought in the Vietnam War or any of these wars that we see throughout history, that there are fewer people who are able to testify and to witness the atrocities of war. And I think one that we all always have to remember and be humbled about because history always repeats itself. And that is the horrors of the Holocaust that happened in World War II. And I was doing some research and I found out that there are only, there are fewer than less than 100,000 survivors who are still alive who can testify to the horrors of what they experienced, especially in some of these concentration camps in Auschwitz and some of these other places during that time. Right now, many of them are in their 80s and approaching 90s. In the next 10 years, some of them will no longer be with us. And that number of people who can testify and to witness what they saw and what they went through will begin to decrease. I want to show you this video of a Holocaust survivor who shares their story. And each year, there's this remembrance of the Holocaust. They dedicate a time where all over the world where you remember what happened. Why? Because remembering is so important so that we don't make the same mistakes. We learn from what happened. The, the killing, the execution of six million Jews, the genocide that, that happened. And so during this day, they decided to interview different people from different news outlets. They began to interview different people about the situation and the horrors of the Holocaust. And they were able to find someone, like I said, it's dwindling more and more, but they found someone who was able to give an eyewitness account of what happened. It's a little bit sobering as you watch this, but let's watch this together. What a powerful reminder of the horrors of war and the evil of people. And I was just thinking, you could read it through Wikipedia or just through all the different things that are out there in the internet, but hearing an eyewitness account is completely different. When she was describing about how people were touching that fence and they were hanging on because they got electrocuted, those are things that you can only get from a person who actually saw it and they heard it and they witnessed it. Even though you weren't there, you and I can feel the pain, feel the struggle that she was describing. I think this is the same way for a lot of things in life. There are things that some of us have gone through. We have witnessed it. We have experienced it personally. We have this first person account of some of these things. And some of these things are joyous and some of them are painful. There are many of us who have experienced um, getting married and having children and the first job. And so in many ways, that is an experience that you have that there are other people just right now who are listening who have not experienced it, but you can give that first person witness account. There are also some of us who have gone through pain. Some of you might have been raped, sexually molested, come from a broken home. And these are things that you can witness and share with others, the pain that you feel 
in your life. But I think the greatest experience in our life that you and I can give an eyewitness account towards is what we experience in our relationship with Jesus and with the gospel. Because this experience with Jesus completely changes the trajectory of your life. I'm a firm believer when you genuinely understand the gospel, and I'm not talking about just head knowledge. When you really understand the gospel and it's gone down to your heart, it has infiltrated to every single part of your mind, your heart, everything about you, you will literally experience transformation. It doesn't mean that you're going to be completely all better now, but this transformation gives you a new perspective. It gives you a new outlook on life and how you live your life. That's why it changes the trajectory of where you're going and your destiny is forever changed. And that's why when we thought about this year's theme, with so much that we were able to experience this past year with the theme of beyond, we wanted to go beyond just where we were and especially with the COVID situation, the protests that had been happening here in Hong Kong in the last four some years. We were just thinking, God, help us to get out of our comfort zones. And to live our lives for you. To believe that you have measurably more for us. And as we went through that for this whole year, now we were praying and asking God, what is it that you're wanting to do in our church? And I feel like with everything that we've experienced, those of us who have been with us during the summer, we went through the 50 days of freedom. And we were able to experience just joy and experiencing this this breakthrough in our lives. That doesn't mean once again, that you're complete, never will struggle with it again. It's a continual daily, weekly, monthly, yearly thing that you have to commit yourself to because there's always spiritual battle. But some of you have experienced maybe for the first time realizing that some of the things you went through is affecting your life. That's a breakthrough. Some of you were able to release and let go and surrender yourselves to God. And so there was a breakthrough in your life. And so as we're thinking about everything that has happened in this past year, As we look ahead to this year of 2022 and 2023, we've decided that the theme for this year for our church together as a church family, is going to simply be witness. Now, the important part of this theme is that it comes in two parts, is that we have to witness the greatness and the goodness and the glory of who Jesus Christ is. You cannot witness about something that you have not experienced. So we're going to pray that all of us in here as a church family, that we will witness just who Jesus is, the things that he's doing in our lives, the way he's speaking to us, the way he's transforming us, that we can be eyewitnesses, firsthand account of what Jesus is doing in our lives. The second part of that theme is that we want to then be a witness, to be able to declare and to share, to proclaim to other people what it is that God has done in our lives and what he is doing and what he will do. That's why we're just simply focusing on that word, witness. So can you just turn to somebody next to you and say, our church theme is witness. Can you go ahead and do that right now? Amen. Well, let's go ahead and look at that word. The American Heritage Dictionary defines the word witness in several different ways. And let me give you some of them. The first one is this. One who can give a first-hand account of something seen, heard, or experienced. 
The second aspect of that definition of witness is a, 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 a attestation to a fact, statement, or event. It's like a testimony. So when you are able to attest to something or testify to something, declare to something, that is what we see here of a witness. The third thing is this, something that serves as evidence or proof or it's, it's a sign. And the fourth and lastly is to see or know by personal ex experience. So that's what we're going to focus in on. So the question is this, where do we see this biblically? And we see it all over the place. But the verse that we're going to focus in on is in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. And I'm going to read it for us. And, and I, I highlighted and bolded in yellow the actual phrases because that talks about what it means to be a witness. It's things that we experience, the things that we see, the things that we hear. And then from there, we are able to attest or to share and declare to others. So listen to what it says here in 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 4. It says this, that which was from the beginning, which, come on, let's all say this in the yellow, we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the, His Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So you see these words of to see, to hear, to touch. It's an experience that we have, that we are eyewitnesses that Jesus is real, that he can, and he is changing my life. And then through that, we then share, we proclaim, we testify to others of what he's doing in us. It's not what we're doing. It's what he's doing in us. I love what Bill Bright wrote. He's the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. He once wrote this. He said, he said, none of us has a long time here on planet Earth. It's kind of a staging ground. It's our split second in eternity when we have an opportunity to invest our lives, our time, our talents, and our treasure to help fulfill what our Lord came into this world to do and commissioned us to do. In fact, his last words before he ascended to be with the Father were, be my witnesses. I want you to think about that for a moment. Right before he ascended into heaven, his last words were simply, be my witnesses. So this is not something as a suggestion. It's a command. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are commanded to be his witnesses wherever you go and wherever you are. So once again, the theme for this year of 2022 and 2023 will simply be witness. So here's the one thing that I want to give us for us to remember. Simply this, our witness of Jesus fuels our witness for Jesus. Because when you begin to witness all that Jesus, who he is, and what he's doing in your life, it will become the gasoline as your heart is set on fire. It will be the gasoline 
so that you will now be a witness for Jesus Christ wherever you go. You know, oftentimes I get these uh, remarks from people when we talk about evangelism or just sharing a testimony. And I understand some of you are shy. Some of you are more introverted. You're more private in your life. But one of the things that I tell people is that when you have experienced the gospel message, you will go public with it. Can I get a good amen to that? I mean, think about some of the things in your life that you experience that are good. You go public with it. You share it with other people. If you're introverted, you don't have too many friends, maybe you share it with one or two. But you still, in essence, share it with others because it's such good news. It's just a natural reaction to what we experience. That's why, listen to me carefully, I'm going to say this carefully. That's why sometimes when there's fear or even hesitation to share, a lot of times you might have to pause and wonder to yourself, have I really experienced the gospel message? I'm not saying you're not saved. But what I'm challenging you is, have you experienced this gospel message that turns your life around? As I shared many times before, believe it or not, I was a shy kid. I, I know you cannot believe it. I was a very shy kid. I could not speak in front of people. I was kind of to myself, unless there was a smaller group of people. So I understand all of you introverts, because I always tell people I'm, I'm like a closet introvert or like a mild extrovert. I was very, very introverted. But after I experienced the gospel message, here we go. Here, here I am. Like, I could talk to anybody now. Even in the elevator. You don't want to see me in an elevator. That's not me. I, if, if, you, if you were to talk to my family members and, you, and how they knew me when I was growing up, they will tell you that that's not Seth. It's because I encountered the gospel message and I witnessed just God revealed himself to me and I saw, I heard, I experienced the good news of Jesus Christ, and that translated into a deep work of God that he has accomplished in me. He's still doing it right now. And then from here, I just began to, I said, I want to share this to every single person that I meet. So I want to challenge us as we look ahead to this coming year. May you be a witness of who Jesus is and what he is doing in your life, around the world, in our church, so that it will become a fuel that will literally explode in your heart that you will want to be a witness for Jesus Christ wherever you go and wherever you are. I'm going to highlight two things as we talk about just our witness of Jesus and how it fuels our witness for Jesus. As we look at this passage, we see two clear things that the Apostle John is trying to highlight for us. The first thing is this, that we must personally witness Jesus. It's not something that someone else witnesses, but you yourself have to personally witness Jesus Christ. You have to encounter him. You have to experience him. Let's go ahead and read verse 1 and 2. This is what the word of God says once again. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. When we look at this first phrase, that which was from the beginning, it could either mean that 
John was referring to their first encounter with Jesus from the beginning, or he's referring to this idea of Jesus existing from the beginning of time. Now, scholars will debate which one it is, but I think it could be both. Because if you think about this, all throughout John's writing, you will see this concept of Jesus' eternality. Eternality means simply that it is eternal in his own existence. Let me give you some verses to help you understand this. John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 in the NIV. Listen to what it says. It says this. Say the yellow section with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So it talks about logos, the Word, Jesus Christ, life. It comes through Jesus, and it says, He was with God in the beginning. No one created God, but He was with God in the beginning. So this idea of Jesus was eternal, the eternality of Jesus Christ. John also mentions this in the book of Revelation. He wrote the book of Revelation as well. Listen to what it says. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. I am the one who is, come on, let's say this together, who always was and who always is still to come, the Almighty One. So from the beginning of time, even before time even existed, Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, that they existed. Therefore, we see Jesus, before anything was created, he existed, which shows that he is sovereign. He is supreme over all things. I think this is the reason why those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we have to understand and believe that Jesus is not some kind of fairy tale. He's not some kind of mythical figure that we make up. But he came into this world. He embodied himself in the form of a human being. That's what we call in theology the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And he lived in a period of history. Now, you could argue all you want, but you're going to lose because even people who don't believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they will testify that there was a man named Jesus through history and the historical writings and the books, a man named Jesus who existed here on this earth. They just debate if he's really the Son of God. But they don't debate if he was real, because all of them will agree that he existed in history. That's why the Apostle John makes it clear that Jesus was someone that could be experienced through our senses. Because he came in a human form. That's why you can hear, you can see, you can touch. The next phrase is that I want you to look at. It's very important. We see how John and the other disciples can testify to the physical personhood of Jesus. The phrase is, have heard, have seen. They are in perfect tense. Why is this important to note? It's because it signifies that their experience of Jesus, they heard, they saw, those experiences with Jesus still has an effect on them even after Jesus ascended into heaven. This is very powerful. I want you to pause here for a moment. Think about your first roller coaster ride. It might have been in Ocean Park. I, I feel really bad for you that you did not go when you were younger. But just think about your first roller coaster ride. In many ways, you'll still remember it. I still remember it. Because it was an experience that I can, I could try to explain it to you, but you just have to go through it. 
And so it still had effect on me because I fell in love with it. I guess I was an adrenaline junkie. I fell in love with it, and I wanted to go on more roller coasters. And they had some pretty big roller coasters, fast roller coasters in the United States. And I, 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 I was faithful, discipling. I passed that on to my kids. And so they like roller coasters as well. My wife doesn't. But you remember that experience. Because it was so powerful and it made an impact on your life. That's the same concept that John is trying to explain. What we have seen, what we have heard, it was so powerful that it has continuing effects in our lives. I was thinking about this and I said, you know what? If you think about all the disciples and the time that they spent with Jesus Christ, I mean, think about this for a moment. All the miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, healing of that demon-possessed man, touching that woman who was bleeding for years, 12 years, and she was healed. Just think about all the stories that you read in the Bible, in the Gospels, of the miracles and the power of Jesus Christ. Would it impact you? I believe so. And it will continue to cause them to live for Jesus Christ. In fact, many of you know the story that John was, the Apostle John was the only disciple that was not martyred. He was exiled in the island of Patmos. But every single disciple all lay down their life because of a truth that they have experienced and they have witnessed and they're willing to die for it. If it was not true, if they did not experience it, why would you die for something that is false? It impacted their lives. What would it have been like for you if you spent some time with Jesus? If you saw the miracles? If you saw Jesus and heard his teachings and you realized how true they are? How would it impact your life? Some of you will think, well, if I was there, yeah, I would be a good Christian now. Huh. Well, let me challenge you with this. We have the Bible. We have the Holy Spirit now who lives inside of us as followers of Jesus Christ, who guides us every single day. What is it that we do not have that now we do have because of Jesus Christ and we can live our lives as a witness to what he has done and who he is? I like that last phrase. If you notice in verse 1, you see these phrases, looked upon and have touched with our hands. The reason why, because you don't, you don't capture this in just the English, the English words, but when you study this, you will notice the word to look or to see has this idea or this connotation of to behold, to, to, to view or to tentatively, to kind of gaze upon. The word touched, it, it, it's translated as to handle or to feel, to examine closely, or to handle with a view to investigate. This was the original CSI right here. They're literally touching it that they're actually able to see it. They're investigating if this is true. Those are the words that John is using to say that they have personally witnessed Jesus Christ. 
all these words that you see here are in reference to what Thomas, the disciple, experienced. Do you remember that story? In Luke chapter 24, verse 20, 39, in the New Living Translation, read the yellow section with me. It says this, come on, look at my hands. This is Jesus speaking. That same word, look, is the word that John used in verse, verse 1. And he says, what? Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. He says, what? Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. Let me give you another translation or another verse. And it says this. It says in John chapter 20, verse 20, and also in verse 24 through 28, it says this. When, we have, when he had said this, he what? Show them. Once again, showing, seeing. His hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad and they saw the Lord. Now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. I, I always find this very fascinating. Here the disciples, they actually witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here's Thomas. That's why he's known as the doubting Thomas. But he's like, uh-uh. You guys are telling crazy stories. I saw him die. And so he goes, unless I witness this, unless I touch him, hear him, and he's right in front of me, I'm not going to believe. And then says, so the other disciples told him, what? We have seen the Lord. But he said, that, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and what? Place my finger into the marks of the nail, and place my hands into his sides, I will never believe. You know what he's saying? You don't have a girlfriend. I got to see her. I got I to gotta really be able to know she's really a woman. I, I you know, I, I got I, I to gotta, I gotta know. Huh. I got a job. Uh-uh. You, you, you got you to gotta show me. Because there's no way you can get a job at that place. Uh-uh. With your GPA and with your resume, CV, there's no way. That's Thomas. I got to see it. I got to feel it. I got to hear it. If it's really Jesus, then he's got to come and he's got to reveal himself. And guess what happens? Here's Jesus. Eight days later, it took eight days. He's probably like, nope, 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 nope. Don't talk to me. P Peter, don't talk to me. Nope, nope, nope. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace. This was the first teleport, okay? So he kind of went through the door, and he appeared, and then he says this. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Come on, say this yellow section with me. And see my hands, and put out your hands, and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him. My Lord and my God. See, this is the thing. You can hear a lot of things from people, but unless you personally witness and encounter and experience Jesus Christ, sometimes we don't believe. This is the reason why we should be praying for God to reveal himself through Jesus Christ so that we can have a personal experience of him. Some of you grew up in the church. And I see this all the time, first-year students coming to our church. Some of you who moved around and finally landed and you got a job here in Hong Kong. And your faith is just a Sunday kind of faith. You've gone to church your whole life because your parents made you go to church. It wasn't out of your free will. And many of you, when you graduated from university, you, you stopped going to, or when you graduated from high school, went to university, you stopped going to church. 
It was only because now you're moving into a new city. You want to get to know people because you're alone. So you decide to check out this church that someone, a co-worker or somebody you know, goes to church. The problem is this. Many of you have never experienced Jesus personally. It's all about just going to a building or going to a place. That is not church. Church is made up of people. And this is the reason why those of you who are students, unless this is one of the best times of your life to experience Jesus personally. Because your parents are not here. This is going to be your faith. Do you really believe this thing? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Are you going to life group? Are you going to church because your parents are making you? Or are you going because you want to encounter him? That's why when Thomas heard, he did not believe because unless I see with my own eyes, I touch it with my own hands, and I hear his, own, hear his voice, I will not believe. And when he did experience, what did he say? My Lord and my God. I want you to notice that. My Lord, my God. It's personal. What is the evidence for you to trust and believe that Jesus is real? Even though you can't see or touch his nail pierced hands right now, you can see the work of grace. You can see the transformative work that he's doing in not only in your life, but other people. That's the evidence of Jesus' power working in you and working in others. And this experience and the evidence for Jesus all points to this word of life. That phrase, word of life, in the last part of verse 1 has this connotation of the message about life, which is the reference to Jesus because he is the life. John chapter 14, verse 6a says this, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and what? The life. He is life. John chapter 1, verse 4, it says this, in him was life, and the life was what? Was the light of men. Look at verse 2. Listen to what it says here. The life was manifest and, he ha- we, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. This, this word manifest, it means to make visible or known what has been hidden or unknown. So we didn't know about this, but now it's, it's clear to us. It's visible. That's what it means to manifest. That's why in the New Living Translation, it translates verse 2, the beginning part of verse 2 as, this one who is life itself was revealed to us. The NIV says the life, what? It appeared. This life appeared to us. So since Jesus has been revealed to us, now we have to testify to it. That's what verse 2 is trying to say. We are simply affirming what we have seen, what we have heard, and what we have witnessed. How about us this morning? I'm just wondering, what is your testimony and your witness of Jesus? Has he transformed your life? Is this more than just Bible stories, but it really deeply affected you, and it's still affecting you the way you live and the way you look at life? Are there evidences and proof that Jesus is real in you? I'm wondering if you're personally experiencing his presence each and every single day. So once again, for our witness of Jesus to fuel our witness for Jesus, 
then we have to personally witness Jesus for ourselves. Let me close with the next two verses and the second point here. We must not only personally witness Jesus, but we must passionately witness for Jesus. I'm going to read verse 3, and this is a very important verse. Listen to what it says in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. The beginning of this phrase is a continuation of what he just mentioned in verse 1. It goes back to this experience. It goes back to what we have seen or what we have seen and what we have heard. So what he's saying is once you have experienced these things, you have to remember that certain things will follow. So I want you to think about this. If you have X, then you will have Y. That's what he's trying to explain here. To those who have heard, to those who have seen, to those who have experienced personally Jesus Christ, they're witnesses of Jesus then these are some of the things that will happen in your life. The first thing is this, you will communicate with others. You're going to communicate Jesus, simply Jesus to others. What the apostle John and the other followers of Jesus experienced is something that is now proclaimed. They don't keep it to themselves. The word proclaim can be translated as to declare, to announce, to tell, or to pass on. Once again, it's important to note that the proclamation or the communication of the gospel of who Jesus really is comes down to what you have experienced. Can we just pause here? And I want you to, I want this to marinate in your mind. Some of you grew up thinking that Jesus Christ is supposed to give you everything that you want. And so what do you do? You go through life thinking that Jesus will give you everything that you want, and then you experience something where you don't get everything that you want, and that totally discombobulates your understanding of this who Jesus is. It is a disruption in your life. How many of us have a certain paradigm or view of God because of things that we have been told, the things that we kind of learn even from church? I'm not going to discredit any of the churches that you visited or the churches that you grew up in. But there are churches that talk about prosperity, that somehow if you're not prosperous or you're sick, that something's wrong with you, you have lack of faith. That literally transforms how you view who Jesus is and who you are. And so here, we notice here that what we communicate, what we proclaim to others is what we truly experience. Going back to what I shared earlier. If you haven't experienced a powerful transformation of the gospel, then it's going to be very difficult for you to proclaim that and share that with other people. If you cannot overcome that addiction that you have been addicted to for so many years, you haven't experienced God's power, then there's no way you could talk to somebody, and if they're addicted to whatever it is, that you could tell them Jesus Christ can break that addiction. This is the reason why in the church, filled with so many Christians, that we are no different or any better than the world. It's everything from divorce rates to pornography to materialism. There are so many things in the church 
to those who are followers of Jesus Christ that our lives are just like the world. What makes it worse is that because we know what we ought to do but we do not do, we then use that to judge those people who are not in the church. That's why the world tells us that we are judgmental, we, don't, we lack in love, we're hypocrites. Those words come out because we ourselves have not been transformed by the gospel message. That doesn't mean we've got to be perfect because we're not. We'll never be perfect until the complete sanctification will lead towards glorification when we see him face to face. But there has to be some progression and some movement of your growth, your love for Jesus, understanding the commands and your obedience should be deeper because you're understanding who Jesus is, your personal experience of him. So a genuine encounter with Jesus Christ will lead to a genuine proclamation of who Jesus is. So not only do we communicate with others, especially if you've experienced personally a witness of Jesus, but the second thing you notice here is the communion with each other. Not only the communication, but the communion, communion with each other. The word fellowship that we saw in verse 3 there is an intimate word. It's a very important word, but we studied this before. In the original language, it means kononia, and that word has this idea of having something in common. But it's not just like, oh, you're, you're from Malaysia? I'm from Malaysia too. Or oh, you went to Indonesia? I'm from Indonesia. You know, it's, it's not that kind of in common. Some of you are like, oh, okay. Then what is it? That word is so much deeper. That's a little bit of it, but it's so much deeper. This is where we get the word like partnership, sharing, or joint participation with one another in something possessed by a commonality or something that both of you share deeply. Just think about going into a business, doing a startup. I mean, you're going in all in. And so it's this idea of joint partnership, sharing. Therefore, what John is talking about is when he says, have fellowship with us, he's talking about this communing of togetherness, that we are together, and ultimately it is because we're connected to our communion with God. This is why we want to have genuine fellowship and communion with one another. This is the reason why some of you are just recently joining Life Group for the first time. This is the reason why we emphasize Life Group so much. Because you are now sharing and joint, joint partnership or participation in something because your commonality is Jesus. And that brings you together. And that's why you can be vulnerable to one another. That's why you can share with one another. That's why you can pray together for one another. You can do things because why? Because of who Jesus is. Let me close with this last verse as we talk about how we must be passionate, passionate about witnessing for Christ. Verse 4 says this, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. When you look at that verse, the question is, what does it mean to have our joy made complete? What does that mean? Well, as I was thinking about this, I realized, first of all, you have to remember joy is not something that you chase after. Listen to me carefully. The reason why so many of you are, are unhappy is because you are searching for happiness. 
the reason why joy is so much different from happiness, as many of you probably heard before, is that happiness is based on situations or conditions. If I have a lot of money, I'm happy. If I get that job, I'm happy. But what if you don't get that job? What if you don't get into that relationship? What if you don't get certain things that you want? Then you're no longer happy. That's why you see so many people in this world who are unhappy. But that's the difference between Christians and those who are Christ followers and those who do not have Jesus Christ, is that we have joy. The Bible talks a lot about joy. What is joy? Joy is happiness, if you want to look at it that way, that's independent of circumstances. Joy is found in the presence of God. So when joy comes, guess what? You can experience several things. Once again, joy is not something you chase after, but it's a byproduct of being in the presence of God. So what are the things? Because once again, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit that you seek after, but it's one of the fruit of the Spirit that results from living in the Spirit of God. So here are several things that come when we experience joy. Or if you want to look at it this way, let me, let me rephrase it. Joy comes when we experience these three things. The first thing is this, fellowship with God. Joy comes as we fellowship with God and we are in His presence. Some of you are not experiencing joy because you don't spend time with God. Now, some of you have heard about our soap, this, this, this app that we have that we're trying to read the Bible in one, uh, two years, a whole Bible in two years. You, you look at the Bible, you make the observation, you apply this, and then you lift up a prayer. And you send it out to different people so that you can grow spiritually. Now, what I want you to understand, it's not so much you doing something, but it forces you or it keeps you accountable to spend time with God. That's why I'm not going to judge you, but I will say this. I don't know when or how you spend time with God if you never read the Word. But pastor, I'm a free thinker. I just kind of go with the Spirit. Just like how the MTR just moves and you're able to balance. Have you seen those people? It's amazing because sometimes I have to hold on to something. But some of these people, I'm like, wow, it's like amazing. They could be surfers or skateboarders, but they're so good. And we're talking about there's some parts where it just really has a sharp turn. And they're just like, and they're like, and I'm holding on to like poles and chairs or whatever, though. The side. The problem with so many of us is that's our spiritual life. We just kind of go with the flow. And unless there is designated time where you are spending time with God, reading the word, praying, I just don't see how you can grow spiritually. Now, there are people who read the Bible and pray, and they're not growing. So don't misunderstand me. But all those people who are growing and experiencing great things of God, they've spent time in the Word and in, in God's presence in prayer. That's why in Psalm 16, verse 11 says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is what? Come on, say this. Fullness of joy at your right hand and our pleasures forevermore. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Some of us, we're not in His presence. We're not acknowledging his presence around us. That's why we, we get stressed. That's why sometimes we get overwhelmed. That's why some of us lose perspective and we're like, oh my God, I'm going to die. No, chill. You're not going to die. 
But you feel that because you're not in his presence. That's why there is no fullness of joy. So joy comes when you are in fellowship with God. The second thing is this, when you follow God's commands. So not only fellowship with God, but follow God's commands. John chapter 15, verse 10 through 11. Listen to what it says. Read the yellow section with me. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will, what? Filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. When we follow and obey God's command. So let me give you another practical thing. Have you ever sinned before? And you just knew you messed up big time. Your conscience starts bothering you. You start feeling guilty. And if it's with somebody else, you try to talk to over, like, oh, let's never do it again. And you do all this stuff. That's called the conviction. That's the conscience, the Holy Spirit that's in you. That's him speaking. But I'm going to tell you this. That voice will get softer and softer the more you rationalize and justify yourself. Trust me. Initially, it's like a bullhorn. It's loud. And that's why you feel this overwhelming sense of guilt. But what God is simply saying is this. You want to experience joy in your life? It's when your conscience is clear and everything that you do, you know that you're following God. I have seen people who God spoke to them about doing something. And they just said, no, I don't want to, because they don't want to surrender. They don't want to give up things. So they could live 20 years of their lives with no joy. Even though they're the most successful people, they're making a lot of money. They're in the highest level of corporate. They have, if you look at them in the worldly eyes, they should be joyful. They have everything. They have a house, they have a car, they have a family, they have all these things. But you look at their lives and there's no joy. You know why? Because God spoke to them about obeying and they for 20 years have not. Sometimes it could be a calling, something that God has put into your heart that you are not following. So guess what? For 20 years, for I don't know how many years, you continue to live your own way and your own life. And you're wondering to yourself as you get that next promotion, as you get that next degree, you get all these things in this world and there's still emptiness in your heart. It's because you are not following God's commands. Joy comes when you fellowship with God and when you follow his commands. The last thing is this. You experience joy when you facilitate in helping and serving others. We are also reminded that joy, this joy that we all long for, it really does come when you help and serve others. I think all of us know that feeling. We have been in that situation before. When the spiritual well-being of those that you are ministering to are doing well, it just brings such great joy. And we see this biblically. John experiences. That's why he writes this, that your joy will be complete. Look at, look, look at what it says here in 3 John chapter 4. He says, I have no what? Greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. As he was ministering to them, he was like a spiritual father to these people. They were like spiritual children to them. And when he heard about how they're walking in the truth, and because he helped facilitate as he served them, loved them, he says there is no greater joy. The reason why some of you are not experiencing this joy 
and you're not passionate about sharing about Jesus Christ because your whole Christian life is about yourself. It is. It's all about yourself. It's about your career. It's about your grades. It's about your experience, your success, whatever. And I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. But the whole world revolves around you, not Jesus. This is the reason why you're feeling this emptiness and purposeful, uh, purposelessness right now. Because you're making it about you. That's why if some of you learn to say, yeah, I'm gonna have, I have a really full and busy schedule, but I know that I want to be able to serve people. I want to love people. It doesn't mean that you always have to join salt. It doesn't mean that you always have to do a ministry team. But sometimes having structure is good for us because we naturally do not want to serve. So having that structure enables us now to say, okay, these are times that I'm allotting to spend time and to get trained so that I can help serve and love people. And I guarantee you, you're going to start experiencing this joy. Because why? Because it's no longer about you now. It's about other people. It's about God's kingdom. And as you begin to serve, you'll see your heart being softened by this joy that fills it. It will overflow. How about us? Are we passionate about being a witness for Jesus in our homes, in our workplace, in our school? in this city, in this campus. I'm wondering if you're partnering up the Kanonia with other people. Are you facilitating just this work of helping and serving others? This is how you have joy. And it's a weird thing because once you experience this great joy, you're going to get more passionate. And when you get more passionate, you want to serve more and you experience more joy. It's you experience more joy that you want to be more passionate and be a witness for Jesus. So one thing as I shared is this, our witness of Jesus, what we experience of Jesus on a daily basis will fuel our witness for Jesus. I'm going to close here and give us some practical things as we think about this theme for this whole year. If you want to look at it, let's make this kind of like this overarching next step for the rest of this year and see all the great things that God will do. The first thing is this, spend time with God. I know some of these next steps are like really simple, but that's a problem. We don't do simple things. We want to do this like, I want to, I want to like talk, say Jesus at last breath and someone shoot me, then I could, that, that, I would say for majority of us, that would not happen. They'll write stories about you, but that's not going to happen. Spending time with God, that's something that anyone could do at any time any place. It doesn't matter. That's why for me, I put in my calendar, my personal one, I put in there, I say, spend time with God or appointment with God, meet with God. Because once it's in my calendar, it's in my calendar. When was the last time you said, good morning, Lord? Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Are you walking with him? Are you spending time with them? I still don't understand how any leader can serve without spending time with God. I still don't understand how any Christian, Christ follower, can live in this world and be a witness, whether in their workplace or in their schools, in the schools where they're anti-God and in a workplace that is very hostile to Christians. I don't understand how you can survive 
without being in the presence of God. But here are many of us who do that on a daily basis. We just forget about God. We live our own lives. That's why I'm wondering to myself, this is just a thought. Sometimes when hardships and difficulties come, that's God's way of just trying to get our attention. He's trying to nudge us a little bit. You can't do this without me. Stop depending on yourself. That's why when I hear people complaining all the time, sometimes the root of the problem, you know what the root of the problem? It's you. Because you think that's your schedule, your life, your future, and it's not. Maybe what we need to do is reorient ourselves and see Jesus. Witness who he is every single day. Spend time with him. That's the first thing. Let's, let's make that a promise or a commitment to God and to one another. I'm not going to go a single day without just acknowledging God or spending time with him in his word. Now, you're going to miss soap here and there. It's okay. It's not about perfection. But it's about the process of saying, God, I hunger for you. I thirst for you. I want to know you more. And the only way you're going to get to know God is through his word, his living word sharper than any double-edged sword that will cut into the bones and marrows and the joints and different parts of your life. It cuts to the heart. Stop going through life without spending time with God. You need God. It's the air that we breathe. It's the food that we eat. It's the water that refreshes us in a desert, dry and weary land. Because He's the living water. He's the bread of life. Spend time with them. The second thing is this. Share your testimony. One of the things that we're going to do for this whole year is have you share your testimony. We're going to set up different things around. I don't know if it's website or, you know, I was talking with some of our executive team. We're going to provide avenues. Google Doc. I know by now you probably hate Google Docs, right? It's like fill out forever, whatever. But we're going to give you opportunities to be able to just brag on God. I don't know about you, but when you start bragging about yourself, that attention might feel really good, but you just know it's not you. When you make Jesus famous, he'll take care of everything else. I want to make Jesus famous. I want our church to make Jesus famous. That means that we have to share our testimony, testify to all that he's doing. Now, don't type in there, I have a great testimony. When I got out of the MTR door, the next train came and it just opened up. God is, God is a God who opens doors. <laughs> if you feel convicted, go ahead and do it, okay? I'll bless you with that. Go ahead and do it. And it doesn't have to be, praise God, because I just resurrected somebody. They were dead, and I gave her a little pop, and then he just rose from the dead. It doesn't have to be that kind of testimony. Are you with me? Just how God answered a prayer. How somebody you've been praying for, somebody you've just spending time with, they actually came to know Jesus through your life and sharing the love of Jesus Christ. How maybe just the issues that you struggle with for so long in your life, just for once in that life group, huddle group, you're just opening up and sharing. Just God gave you a revelation that he's, he's, he's with you. And he gave you confidence and security that you could take that step of faith. Maybe somebody that you have been so angry at and bitter at for so many years. It could be your parents. It could be your sibling. It could be somebody. But then somehow God convicted you. You obey because that's where the joy comes in following his commands. And when you obeyed, there was a reconciliation and God just did amazing things. Healed your family. 
Those are things that we can do as God enables us to do. And we're just going to brag on God because it was his initiation, his sustaining power, and for him to receive all the glory. Share your testimony with others. The third thing is this, serve others with God's love. I pray that our church will be a church that serves. You heard what Pastor Bo was mentioning of what he experienced this past week of just seeing people who are willing to sacrifice and give. I pray that that will be our church, that we'll be so filled with people because they've, they've experienced the generosity of God that they want to use their time, talent, treasure, everything that they have to serve others. And I want our church to be a joyful church. You know how you experience joy when you don't make it about yourself. Let's start serving people around us. Let's start serving the people in our lives. Let's start serving your campus. Start serving the people at your workplace. Let's start serving the city. Find ways to serve the city that even the government will take notice. Who are you guys? Let's serve in such a way because the love of Christ compels us. Because what we have witnessed of Jesus, now we want to witness for Jesus. What motivates me, what motivates our church is because God has served us. Serve people, serve people. That's what it's all about. And the last thing, which is going to be a little bit more difficult, but I'm going to challenge you. That's my job. That's my calling. It's to challenge you. The last thing that I want us to cover this whole year with is we're going to start the prayer campaign. Now, some of you have been with us a while, like, oh, the prayer campaign. Some of you, who this is your first time, you're like, what is a prayer campaign? Oh, uh, you know, in Asia, they love numbers, you know. 888, blessings, it's good. Four, avoid. So one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to take First John, chapter 1, verse 1 through 14, or 1 through 4. And what we're going to ask you to do is right around lunchtime or right towards the end of lunchtime, at 1 o'clock of the hour, and at 14 minutes, we're going to ask you to pray. And we're going to pray this together. That would be awesome. If all over Hong Kong, wherever you may be, at 114, the whole world stands still. Because we are in the presence of God. Okay, I'm just being dramatic. But you know what I'm saying. 114. And this is what we're going to remember what we talked about. That which was from the beginning. That what we have seen and what we have heard. Now we testify or proclaim to you. That whole verse that we just studied here. We're going to ask you from Monday through Friday, each and every single day, we want you to pray about something at 1 o'clock or 1.14 every afternoon. Now, what are we going to pray about? You know me. I'm always about making things simple. Acronyms, alliterations, whatever it takes. We want to witness about who? Jesus. How many letters are in Jesus? Five. How many days are there in a week minus the Saturday, Sunday? Five. Not only do we have a joyful church, we have a smart church, all right? So the J is on Monday. This is what we're going to do. Let's go ahead and just show it. I don't know if you're going to do it one by one. Here we go. Monday. We're going to pray for joy in the journey. Let's pray for that. I don't know why. I just feel like this year... 
if we pray for joy as we follow, have fellowship together, as we facilitate in this serving others, I'm going to tell you right now, people in this world are looking for joyful people. What, what, is, what is different about you? Why do you have so much joy in the midst of all the chaos? On Monday morning, we, we, I, there's a reason why we put out Monday. How many of you guys are like, Monday, I'm here. Let's go to work. Monday, work. Turn to somebody and just give them the finger. You, you know what I'm talking about, finger. You know, uh-huh, uh-huh. Monday is the worst. But we're going to pray on Monday that there will be joy in this journey with Jesus. Amen? Here's Tuesday. The e, the e is evangelize the circle. We're going to evangelize the circle. It, it, it was really interesting. I was in a global meeting with a bunch of world leaders, and we were just talking together. And one of the presentations they gave was the circle. And everything inside of me is like, you should have copyrighted that. Look, look at what I did. But then I'm like, okay, come back to my senses. That's not about me. And I'm just realizing, I started getting excited because it's not just us that's talking about the circle, but there's other churches and other ministries and other places that are talking about the circle. I'm like, bring it on. And I said, here we are. And I always tell them, yeah, you might be in Singapore, Indonesia, you know, China somewhere, Japan, Korea. But what is, where is the center of that circle? So I'm just getting more excited. And I'm like, that's why we're here doing the best that we can to try to reach Hong Kong, reach the universities, reach the city so that we can reach the circle. Let's pray for the circle, that we will evangelize the circle. We will send people out to plant churches and do, to go and be a witness. If you're from any of these countries in that circle, I want you to pray that that circle will be completely transformed with the gospel message. So every Tuesday, how many of you have life groups on Tuesday? Raise your hand. Y'all going to be blessed because Tuesday we're going to have a lot of prayer for that. So we're going to be praying on Tuesday at 1.14. On Wednesday is what? Serve our city and campus. That's what we're going to be praying for. Man, we have so many exciting things. Second semester or the next year we're going to be doing. We're going to be serving the city, doing some incredible things. And I'm looking forward to that. We're going to see city transformation, things that we've been praying about. So start small. Start with your campus. Start with your workplace. Start, and then we can see the city being transformed. Now, some of you are trying to guess what the U.S. is, right? Uh, the U on Thursday is understand the gospel. Let's pray for this. The gospel is what fuels us to do anything. I want to pray that every Thursday that we will understand the gospel that much more. It will go deeper. Because what we witness of Jesus will fuel our witness for Jesus. Let's pray that we will be such a gospel-centered church, that the gospel is in the center of everything that we do, that it's all about Jesus. Let's make it about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And on Friday, the S is send people out. We are praying that we will be able to send some of you back to your countries after you graduate. Some of you who are working here, and you're only working here for the PR, but once you get your PR, that we will send you back. And we're not just sending you back. We're like, oh my God, yes, get rid of him. Oh my God, yes. Well, oh my God, she is no longer with us. Praise you, Jesus. That is not what we're talking about, sending you out. It's that word to send out workers, ekbalo, you know, kicking you out so that you will get out of your comfort zone and that you will now go to the places that God will place you. I want to be a church that's a sending church. 
we've been talking about starting a second site somewhere in Hong Kong. That's not going to happen until we get people who love God and experiencing Him. And then we send out some of these people. Say, hey, you guys go and start this site here. We want to send people out on a mission, God's mission. And we're excited because I think slowly things are going to open up. Maybe October 16th. Somebody's like, why October 16th? You just Google it and read it because that's when the elections will happen in China. But anyway, uh, I believe that things will slowly open up more because it's already now three days and we're praying, God, no more days of quarantine. And as we enter into this new season, we're going to start kicking up all of our missions projects again. I'm already in contact with some of these people and we're saying we want to send people. We might have to send not just in the summer for the students, but we might have to send them through Chinese New Year, Christmas. I was giving all these things like, yeah, sure, that's fine. Yeah, we're open. We're open. I'm like, praise you, Jesus. So we're going to be sending people out to experience the power of Jesus Christ. So what time? Okay, let me do something different. What time is it? Okay. Okay. Jesus time. Says, it's Jesus time. I like that. I like that. See, this is where inspiration is. You can't think of everything, but people. So what time is it? It's Jesus time. That's what I'm gonna, that's what I'm gonna put on my phone as a reminder. Jesus time. Join the journey. Evangelize the circle. We're gonna serve the city and the campuses. We're gonna understand the gospel more, and we're gonna send people out each day. At 114, this prayer campaign, it's Jesus' time. We're, we're going to pray for these different parts. And throughout this whole year, I cannot wait. Can I just say this? I'm going I'm to declare it out. I don't know if it's by faith or just, I'm going to say this. I'm going to believe that this year we're going to see more baptisms than ever before. I'm going to believe that we're going to send out more people on missions than ever before. That we're going to see more lives being transformed than ever before. This is the start of our eighth year. And God is a good God. And He's doing some incredible things in your life as we witness who Jesus is with our own ears, our own eyes. We touch Him. We've, we know Him. We have experienced Him. And that will cause us now to go out and be a witness for Him. Let's win over Hong Kong for Jesus Christ. Let's win our campuses for Jesus Christ. And let's reset circles so that the most populous countries in the world will be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on, church, let's stand together as we close out. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.